Hey guys, this is Erin from Roadrun Blonde, and I wanted to tell you about a new feature on ACAST that supports its artists. It's the supporter feature. Listeners to Roadrun Blonde can now donate and support the podcast. However, there's no subscription or commitment. You can just give whenever or whatever you'd like. It's completely up to you. Just find the support the show link in the show description on any episode. You can use Apple Pay or Google Pay, and it takes less than 30 seconds. You can donate anonymously, or you can add a message that I can see. As a podcaster, everything comes directly out of my pocket. I don't get paid to podcast. It's just my passion. So anything is appreciated to keep the show going. Thank you so much, guys. And now on to the show. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to Red Rum Blonde. This is a true crime podcast. Each week, I'll explore a case, the victims, the facts, and the mystery surrounding it. Some are solved, some remain unsolved. I'm your host, Erin Fleming. decomposed body of a woman washed up in the San Francisco Bay. She was dressed in a maternity blouse and she was due to give birth. And at first it was hard to identify her because she was missing parts, mainly her head. Most of you might be thinking, I know this case, it's Lacey Peterson, but it's not. This woman was named Evelyn Hernandez and she disappeared one year before Lacey did. And when Lacey Peterson disappeared, it was a headline on every newspaper and a top story on the news. So why have so few of us heard of Evelyn Hernandez? Could it be because she was from El Salvador? And is her case at all related to the disappearance and murder of Lacey and Connor Peterson? This week, I'll explore the other Lacey Peterson, Evelyn Hernandez. Evelyn Hernandez was a 24-year-old who was originally from El Salvador. She had been in the United States since about the age of 14 and was by this time a legal immigrant. She was working her way to becoming a vocational nurse. And to make ends meet, Evelyn worked at places like Costco and the Clift Hotel. But the most important job to her was being a mother. Evelyn already had a 5-year-old boy named Alex. His father was in the Navy, but was not involved in their lives at all. 
In 2002, Alex was ready to welcome his baby brother, Fernando, into the world. His mother was just a few weeks away from giving birth. There were some complications with Evelyn's relationship with the baby's father, though. He was named Herman Aguilera, and he was a 36-year-old airline mechanic. And apparently, he was already married, a fact that Evelyn only learned when she told him that she was pregnant. And when she found out, she was in denial. So much so that she called Herman's mother to see if it were true or not. His mother confirmed that he was indeed married. And according to her friends, Herman wanted no part of this child's future. But Evelyn said she would attempt to get child support from him. May 1st, 2002 was a very busy day for Evelyn. In the morning, she dropped Alex off at daycare. She then stopped at an ATM to get money out for her upcoming baby shower. Everything was coming together for her. and It was a very exciting time. Later in the day, she picked her boy up from daycare. And then after that, they both vanished. After about a week, Herman reported her missing. The only trace of her was her wallet, which was found in an abandoned parking lot. Inside the wallet was $40.00 and a disability check made out to her. Although Herman was the one to report her missing, he of course became suspect number one. The parking lot where her wallet was found was very close to where Herman worked. But there was no trace of how little Alex or his mother disappeared until July. And that's when a pair of legs and a torso were found floating below a bridge in the San Francisco Bay. On the body was a maternity blouse. However, without a head, hands, or feet, it was hard to identify the body. And it actually took DNA to prove that it was Evelyn Hernandez. But there was no sign of missing Alex or baby Fernando. Where were they? The cause of death was listed as undetermined. And the story barely made the news. In fact, police didn't even hold a press conference about her disappearance until a month after she'd been gone. And that was lost time. Time when someone might have seen something and could have reported it. There was still a little boy missing, as well as a possible full-term baby. Initially, when first questioned, Herman was very cooperative. He admitted that he was upset at first about the pregnancy. But then he lawyered up. Police investigated Herman, but he had a solid alibi which was substantiated by his wife, and they had no physical evidence against him, and no other suspects. Evelyn was a very likable woman who always had a smile on her face. She didn't have any enemies. So one had to wonder if she was possibly murdered for her baby. It's not a far-fetched thought. It happens way more often than we would like to admit. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. In September of 2000, 23-year-old Teresa Andrews and her husband John were very excited about the upcoming birth of their first child. They'd been married for about four years, so this was perfect timing for this child to arrive. They were shopping for baby clothes at Walmart when they ran into another expecting couple, was 39-year-old Michelle Bika and her husband Thomas. They were from Ravenna, Ohio, and they were ready to welcome their baby girl to the world. And this was a blessing because Michelle had suffered a miscarriage the year before. So for them, it was very exciting to talk to another couple who were also preparing for their first baby. They were surprised to find that they lived only four streets away from each other. They discussed what they were having, Teresa, a boy, and Michelle, a girl. So a few days after their meeting, Michelle discovered that she was actually having a boy and not a girl, which was a nice surprise anyways. The last time John Andrews heard from his wife was around 9 a.m. on September 27th. John had been trying to sell his Jeep through a Craigslist ad, and his wife would show it to potential buyers while he was at work. In fact, she was showing it to a woman in just a little bit. He told her to keep him updated throughout the day. But when he returned home, he found his wife and the Jeep gone. And he was pretty worried. He'd called her several times, and they all went unanswered. And he realized it was because her cell phone was still at the house. It was right there on the table, and her purse was right beside it. Why didn't she take these things with her? Fatefully, on that same day, Michelle went into labor. She called her husband Thomas at work, where he was a corrections officer, and she told him she'd just given birth. So he asked why she didn't let him know she was in labor. Michelle just said she was in too much pain at the time. It was a crazy whirlwind of excitement. She was rushed to the hospital in an ambulance, but sent home quickly after the baby was born when there was a tuberculosis scare at the hospital. They named the baby Michael Thomas. Meanwhile, police were deep into the investigation of the disappearance of Teresa Andrews. And luckily, they were able to trace her phone records. And they found the woman who Teresa had talked to last about coming to see the Jeep. It was Michelle Bika. So when they brought her in for questioning, Michelle was very nervous. And she gave them different accounts of her day. After they looked into the story of the birth of her son, they were shocked. There was no tuberculosis scare at the hospital. 
So why had she lied to them? On October 2nd, they went to her home to question her again. As soon as they pulled into the driveway, Michelle locked herself in the bedroom. And before they even got to the door, she had put a gun in her mouth and shot herself. Luckily, her baby was safe, crying in his crib. In the garage, police found the body of Teresa Andrews. She had been shot in the back and buried in a shallow grave that was covered in gravel. Her baby had been crudely removed from her womb. Michelle had killed her and passed the baby off as her own. And all this time, her husband thought she was pregnant. He was floored by the news. The baby was taken back and returned to John Andrews, and he named the boy Oscar, which is what Teresa wanted to name him. But no one is sure what drove Michelle to butcher and to murder Teresa. Perhaps it was the miscarriage that she had suffered previously. I mean, why didn't she try to get pregnant again? Why did she choose to murder Teresa for her baby? Sadly, murders like these aren't unusual. Studies show that murder is the cause of death in about 20% of women who are pregnant. Most deaths are due to domestic violence or intimate partner violence, but some are due to baby theft. I've noticed that when couples are pregnant, the women seem to be nesting and they're generally prepared for the birth of the child and taking care of the baby, but the guys are generally pretty stressed. They're thinking about things like money and the impact the kid will have on their lives. Now, I'm not saying that they're not excited, but men just kind of digest things differently than women. Most men are delighted about starting a family. But there are some who aren't happy about their partner's pregnancy. Some don't want children. Or in the case of Evelyn's boyfriend, Herman, they're already married. So a baby is a complication. Sadly, there are more stories like Teresa Andrews. I won't go into the others, but I will say there are quite a few that I read about while doing my research. Now, I want to go in and examine the similarities and the differences in Evelyn's case to that of Lacey Peterson. Many think that Scott Peterson is guilty of killing his wife and unborn son, but there are some that are very adamant that he is innocent. And they cite the case of Evelyn Hernandez. They think that they are connected. In fact, his lawyers tried to get Evelyn's autopsy and police reports to present in Scott's trial. So let's quickly look at Lacey's case and then see if there are any other possible connections. Just like Evelyn, Lacey lived in Modesto, California. A few months before her college graduation, Lacey Rocha married Scott Peterson in August of 1997. They had met at a restaurant called Pacific Cafe and shortly after became engaged. For a few years, they just focused on each other. This is before Lacey decided that she wanted to become a mother. In 2000, she became very serious about it. And when it was taking too long without success, the couple looked into fertility treatments. But they were able to get pregnant without any help, and that was in May of 2002. After this baby, she hoped to have many more. She was only 27 years old, so they had plenty of time to build a family. On December 23rd, Lacey's sister Amy had come to the house to cut Scott's hair. 
and then later that night, Lacey spoke with her mother, Sharon, on the phone. But the next day, a neighbor found the family's golden retriever, Mackenzie, just on the loose, wandering by the house. He was wearing his leash, but neither of the Petersons were around. So the neighbor took him and put him in the yard so he wouldn't be running loose. Scott had gone out early that morning to fish at Berkeley Marina. And when he came home, Lacey wasn't at the house. But he saw her purse, keys, and wallet on the table. So he thought that maybe she'd just gone for a walk, what she liked to do. He sat down and ate some pizza, washed his clothes from the fishing trip, and then he took a shower. Around 5.20 p.m., he called Sharon, Lacey's mom, to see if, you know, Lacey was at her house. So when she said he wasn't, he just replied with, Lacey's missing. The last time he had seen her had been that morning. She was busy preparing for Christmas with the family. She was up early to get everything done. She had to curl her hair, mop the floor, go to the store, and walk the dog. It was quite a lot for a pregnant woman to do. Her parents were the ones to actually report her missing when her stepfather called police around 6 p.m. And from then, a major search ensued with everything from helicopters, search dogs, to different law enforcement agencies. And it was all over the news. It was a beautiful, very pregnant woman that had gone missing. And her big smile was splashed across the front pages of papers all across the country. Volunteers joined the family in helping with flyers in the search. So, of course, Scott Peterson became the prime suspect. Police met with him the day she went missing. At that time, he declined to take a polygraph test, which didn't sit well with them. In fact, in the days that followed, police found him to be pretty unconcerned about the progression of the investigation. One detective said his major concerns were not Lacey. His major concerns were his car door hitting his other car door in the driveway, or me taking a picture of this boat in his shop, or getting a receipt for the pink slipper and sunglasses the tracking dog people used for Lacey's scent. Scott's story was that he drove to the warehouse that morning. He sent out some emails, and then he got his boat and went to the marina. I mean, his alibi seemed pretty solid. There was even a receipt he acquired at the marina, and the emails were time-stamped. He said he fished for about 90 minutes, he took his boat back to the warehouse, and then he went home. The day after Christmas, a warrant was executed for the search of the house that Scott shared with his wife. At this time, police found him reluctant to cooperate with the search. And not only did he act strange with the police, the public found his behavior pretty odd, too. A public vigil was held on December 31st, which friends and family attended, and as well as many others. Scott was there, but he declined to speak. Photographers were all over the place, and two very unfortunate pictures came to light, and both he seen smiling and laughing which is very odd behavior for a man whose wife and unborn child are now missing. But if you've seen the movie Gone Girl, you know that people don't want smiles from a husband at a vigil. They want tears, sadness. The public started to hate him, and pretty soon they would have very good reason. On December 30th, a massage therapist named Amber Fry 
called a tip line with information about the case. She said she was Scott's girlfriend. And this was a huge bombshell. She said they'd been dating after meeting in November of 2002. This is about the same time that Lacey was pregnant. They soon began dating. And Scott had told her that his wife had died. So she had no idea about Lacey or their forthcoming child. He even called Amber when he was at the vigil for Lacey. He said he was in Paris to celebrate the new year. Amber agreed to work with police and she secretly recorded over 29 hours of phone calls between her and Scott. Amber agreed to work with police and she secretly recorded over 29 hours of phone calls between her and Scott. Amber was forced to publicly come forward about the affair after hearing about a story and photographs that the National Enquirer were threatening to publish. On January 24th, she held a press conference and revealed all. The Rochas were absolutely shocked and now started to lose faith in their son-in-law. Scott tried to repair his public image by agreeing to an interview with Diane Sawyer for Good Morning America. But on there, he told several lies during the interview, like saying Lacey knew about the affair with Amber and she sanctioned it. His biggest mistake was referring to his wife in the past tense. Now the public hated him. On April 13th of 2003, two people out walking their dog in Richmond's Point Isabel Regional Shoreline Park came upon the body of a late-term fetus on the shore. It was decomposed, but surprisingly well-preserved baby boy. Lion tape was found looped around his neck, as well as a deep cut on his neck and one on his body. The next day, the body of a woman dressed in maternity clothing also washed up on the shore, and this was about a mile away. Her body was in a bad state of decomposition, and she was missing her forearms and right foot. Her left leg was missing from the knee down, and she'd been decapitated. She had other injuries like two cracked ribs that, according to the medical examiner, had occurred around the time of her death. The bodies were that of Lacey Peterson and her son Connor. At first, there was speculation that the baby was expelled due to coffin birth. So that's when a non-viable fetus comes out of the body of a decomposing body, but it's a rare occurrence, actually. In reality, Lacey's internal organs had been removed from her upper torso, so this made it possible for the baby to pass through the perforation at the top of the uterus. Then the nylon tape got tangled around the baby's head when it emerged from her body. Scott had been staying with his family in San Diego. There, police arrested him on April 18th. They found very suspicious evidence on him. $10,000 in cash four cell phones, his brother's identification, and stuff used for camping. He'd also changed his appearance by lightening his hair to a blonde color, as well as growing out a beard. Police believe they arrested him right before he planned to go on the run. In the beginning, the Roaches adamantly defended Scott, but gradually they withdrew their support. There was simply too much. The affair, how quickly he referred to her as missing, the lies, the potential getaway gear. Other suspicious behavior included the subscription to a porn channel less than two weeks after the disappearance of his wife, 
his selling of Lacey's car a month later. He also thought about selling their house. He stopped mail to the house and converted the nursery into a storage room. And this is all less than a month after she went missing. Lacey's family now wanted the death penalty for him. Scott Peterson was charged with two counts of murder. And under the California fetal homicide law, this was possible. California is one of 38 states that have such a law. And it protects any fetus that is eight weeks old killed in a violent act. Not long after he was charged, President Bush signed the Unborn Victims of Violence Act, or Lacey and Connor's Law. And this law makes it a separate crime to kill or harm an unborn child during an assault on its mother. He said, as of today, the law of our nation will acknowledge the plain fact that crimes of violence against a pregnant woman often have two victims. Now, I never go into too many court details, mainly because trials can go on for quite some time. Basically, Scott was convicted of first-degree murder and the death of his wife, and second-degree murder and the death of his son. In December of 2004, the jury recommended that he be sentenced to death, and in March of 2005, the judge agreed. He has since filed two appeals, both of which pending. Now, many question his guilt. Then there was the airing of an A&E series called The Murder of Lacey Peterson, which cast doubt onto his guilt. There were court filings which brought the case into question, so let's look at this evidence. Apparently, many people claimed to have seen Lacey alive after Scott had left for his fishing trip. They claimed to have seen her walking the dog, and supposedly she ran into some people who were burglarizing the house across the street. This is a theory presented by his attorney, Mark Garagos. These burglars had parked a, quote, suspicious van in front of the residence. These men were later caught, but they said they committed the burglary on December 26th and not on the 24th. And there's a lot of debate about that whole thing. Reporters were camped out by the house right after Lacey went missing and didn't recall seeing anything suspicious. Another witness said she saw a very pregnant woman being forced into a van. So some say this burglary wasn't properly investigated. Scott's defense even brought up a satanic cult theory. Police had received an anonymous tip saying Lacey was taken by a satanic cult. But when a man who owned the building where this supposed cult was being run out of denied any knowledge, that was dropped. This also ties into the disappearance of Evelyn Hernandez. The dates that Lacey and Evelyn went missing are both supposed holy days on the satanic calendar, according to Scott's attorney. His lawyers also cite a cult by the name of the Order of the Lion and four murders that were committed in 1990. It's also known as the Salida Massacre. There were diaries found that said sacrificing a newborn was the purest thing you could do. The defense brought up the cuts on Connor's body as proof to the sacrifice theory. They came upon this theory after the defense team got a hold of a coat worn by a Modesto residence with ties to the cult. Apparently, this man bragged about being involved in Lacey's death. Some see similarities between Lacey's case and the Salida one. And some of the former members say that it is possible that the two are connected. So could this cult be responsible for the murders of Evelyn and Lacey, 
as well as the children of both. Let's just take a quick look and learn about the Salida murders in 1990. The group was led by a guy named Gerald Cruz. And according to a former member, Cruz had a very deep interest in the occult. The members of this group, who referred to themselves as the Children of Satan, were subjected to rape, torture, and brainwashing to be kept in line. And Cruz and his followers went from their compound in Salida to a duplex and they slaughtered four people with knives and baseball bats. Angela Ragsdale is a granddaughter of one of the victims, and she said she feels the death were initiation into the cult. Referring to the connections to the Peterson case, she said, I'm not looking to save Scott Peterson by any means. I'm not declaring him innocent or guilty. But to me, it's completely wrong for them to not recognize this possible connection. But others think that this theory is bogus. And that includes Sergeant Bill Grove from the Fresno Police, who has studied ritualistic crime for many years. He said the fact that they're throwing out this satanic connection tells me they're throwing stuff out to see what sticks. I had a very hard time finding good information about this case, but from what I can tell, Cruz was upset by the behavior of the people who were killed. There were apparently some disputes previously over noise and the selling of drugs, and it sounds like it was just a general dislike between the two groups, and that was the motivation. I think this was some kind of satanic panic going on, the killings weren't ritualistic in any way, and as far as being connected to Evelyn Hernandez and Lacey Peterson, I don't see it. There's only the mention of this person saying that killing a newborn is the purest thing you could do. It's no wonder that the proposal for a new trial based on this bunk evidence was refused. So the final thing I want to do is look at any similarities in the two deaths between Evelyn and Lacey. Lacey was found decapitated, missing her forearms, her right foot, and her left leg from the knee down. Evelyn's torso and legs were found, missing her head, hands, and feet. Both women were dressed in maternity clothing, and in both cases, the babies were missing. They doubt that it was coffin death in Connor's case, but the medical examiner wasn't sure in the case of Fernando since he was never found. Scott's lawyers tried to acquire the autopsy reports in the Hernandez case, but were only given access to the autopsy photos. His team said they found them to be eerily similar to Lacey's, but it could just be a ploy to throw motive in another direction. Matt Dalton, who worked as a lawyer with Garagos on the Peterson defense case, wrote a book called Presumed Guilty, and he laid out theories for Scott's innocence. So in it, he makes note of six different cases, including Evelyn's, of pregnant women who have been reported missing and presumed dead within 80 miles of Modesto. So they are Dina Rayleigh McCluskey, 36, who disappeared on October 10, 1999 from Modesto. In her case, her former roommate was arrested for her murder. Around that same time in Fremont, Michelle Chan vanished and authorities were never able to come up with anything else in her case. In Sacramento, in November 1999, Alice Sin, 21, went missing, and she was found dead from several gunshot wounds in the Nevada desert. And sadly, she left behind a one-year-old son. Then there was Rebecca Rachel Miller, 
33, who disappeared in October 2002 and just 12 blocks from the Peterson home. But when I researched her case, it really seemed to blow a lot of holes in Dalton's theory. Miller was homeless, and she was last seen going through a dumpster. She also suffered from bipolar disorder and was addicted to drugs. So I think these things play a lot into her disappearance. I honestly found no mention of her even being pregnant. In the end, I think his defense was just grasping at straws. I really doubt there was any satanic cult or any kind of connection to these other women. Now, the last theory that I heard was that Scott possibly killed both women, Evelyn being a dry run for the killing of his wife. Now, this one's a lot more plausible than the satanic cult. If you think about it, Evelyn disappeared in May of 2002. I did all the math. And that's about when Lacey would have become pregnant. Even with all of this supposed evidence that's been presented to prove Scott's innocence, I think he's very guilty of killing his wife. He simply did not want this child or the marriage. And death is a lot cheaper than divorce. It's not out of the realm of possibility that he could have killed Evelyn as practice for Lacey, but I think Herman Aguilera killed her. He didn't want that baby, and I'm sure... He didn't want to pay child support. And he probably disposed of Alex because the kid would have recognized him. Basically, just use Occam's razor. Use the most straightforward solution is most likely the answer. You don't have to dive deep into conspiracy theories. Two men didn't want the burden of a baby in their lives. I think both chose murder instead. It's sad, but some men just want to opt out when a baby comes into the picture. How could one so callously murder a pregnant woman and a child I'll never know? I mean, both men were sociopaths. They wouldn't feel bad about their actions. I mean, I don't know about Herman, but Scott seemed to put himself first. Lacey and Connor seemed to have just gotten in his way. You have to remember, when he first met Amber, he told her his wife had died. So was this because he was planning to do away with her? It's just pretty odd. In the end, I think Scott Peterson's guilty. Yes, the police should have followed up on every lead rather than zero in just on him as a suspect. I think it would be nice to know all the loose ends were tied up. But he had an incredible amount of motive. I mean, this is just all my opinion. If you think otherwise, I'd love to hear your theories. I could always be swayed by very good facts. The main takeaway that I got from researching all of these cases was that because Evelyn wasn't a white girl, her case got brushed aside. Her family even tried to get a hold of America's Most Wanted to cover her case, but they said they didn't want to do it because a suspect hadn't been arrested. Evelyn's friends think it was because she was seeing a married man, too. And that's not as innocent in the eyes of the public as a missing married woman. It's just sad because these cases didn't get equal attention. They're very similar if you think about it. And in Evelyn's, her little boy went missing too. So you would think that would have brought more focus onto it. It's just very frustrating to think about. And we've seen this case happen so many times in missing person cases. The white girls get major attention while girls who aren't barely get any coverage. And if these women are also sex workers or drug addicts. So that was the case of Evelyn Hernandez. Thank you for listening. I'm hoping to get a better going on with the podcast.
And it's kind of hard because I work a full-time retail job. So I never work a consistent regular shift. Every day is different from the next. So it's a challenge when it comes to putting the podcast together. Let me know what you think the best day would be to release. I like to release on Mondays like a lot of other podcasts do. If you can, check out Red Around Blonde on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you're looking for merch, you can find it on tpublic.com. And there's some really cool stuff. I caught some flack for modeling my t-shirt on social media, but I was just pretty excited. But I didn't get a lot of free merchandise from TeePublic at all. I had to pay for my own shirt like a regular customer. Another podcaster mentioned how they don't own any of their merchandise, so I kind of felt like that was a dig, but I'm just really proud of the podcast and how far I've come. That logo is super cool, and I wear it with pride. So maybe someday I'll be able to buy another t-shirt and give it away. I don't know. It's been a rough week. Thanks a lot for tuning in. And also, it's another hot button issue about people asking for five-star reviews. But if you do like the show, please go on and subscribe. And, you know, leave a good review. Please. Anyway, thanks so much for listening and catch you next week. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.